Oh, usually I drop this behind my shirt. I forgot to do that. Uh, Father, bless Gordy as he brings your word to us. Open our hearts and minds. We pray, Father, for truth and the light of your word to shine upon us, Lord. So, Father, come now and minister to us and minister to Gordy as well. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friend. Okay. Well, good morning. It's already been a good morning. Enjoyed worshiping together with you. It's never easy to be away. I want you to know that. I don't, I don't miss a Sunday and go, <laughs> I don't. I really, uh, I miss being with you. I miss worshiping with you. And it was just good to be back together with you this morning, worshiping, uh, singing a new song. Wonderful. We're in a series, if you're just joining us, uh, called Disciples Making Disciples. We started near the end of April. We're continuing uh, to the end of June. And then during the summer, we're going to be doing biographical studies, character studies of lesser known lights in the Bible. You know, we always hear sermons about Peter and John and Paul and, uh, oh, Jesus, and uh, but, you know, we want to talk about Epaphras and Aquila and Priscilla and some of these people that appear, but you don't see a lot about them. And what did discipleship look like in, in their lives? And, and what does the Holy Spirit have to say to us? And so that's going to be fun. We've got a great assortment of summer teachers that are going to be bringing that to the table. I'm looking forward to being a part of that. I won't be teaching as much during July and August. Uh, simply because my grandkids are coming and just wanted you to know that. And, uh, of course, we're going to Lower Post and taking a vacation and a few other things like that. So I'll, I'll take a bit of a summer break teaching-wise, but be, I'll still be with you a lot and looking forward to being with you as a community as we, we look at some of these, uh, these character studies together. Two weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday, we began... Uh, a. Uh, to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our discipleship. And, and I planned on moving on from that topic, and I really felt the Holy Spirit check me. And, and what checked me was the fact that we are now in, a, in the Christian year, uh, the part of the Christian year called ordinary time. Uh, so, so, you know, some other words are used, proper five, proper Sunday six, uh, that kind of thing. But I have always felt it was a stroke of genius that the, the church fathers and mothers uh, got together and took six months of the year from Pentecost, and which, which was two weeks ago, and Trinity Sunday was last Sunday, uh, to, to Advent, which is near the end of November, early December. And they called this ordinary time. And I think there's a stroke of genius that after Pentecost Sunday, sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about this dramatic, you know, fire and miracles and, 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 and we're, we, we tend to, as humans, have a, have a flair for the, the uh, uh, you, you know, the impressive. And yet so much of our Christian life is, is ordinary stuff, changing diapers, you know, putting kids to bed, uh, you know, washing our dishes, get, you know, just life. And those kind of jobs, did you notice they don't go away? They just, you know, you think, okay, I'm done now. No, you're not. You know, it's just, and, and a lot of our life is that, isn't that? It's, and, and the Holy Spirit was given by God for ordinary time. 
so that we could live naturally supernatural lives in the midst of the ordinary, that we could encounter God. And I really felt the Lord wanted us to take the next three Sundays to look more deeply into the work of the Holy Spirit in our ordinary day-to-day lives as, as, as people. And what is the connection between that as disciples and what happened on Pentecost? Now, you'll remember that we introduced the series by saying that God is a team. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The universe is being led by a team. And, uh, and we talked about how that, even though God is a team, at certain eras in His plan, one of them has more preeminence. So, for example, in creation, the Father. And in the, in the Old Testament, it was the Father who was quite preeminent. But as we come to the New Testament and the Incarnation, Jesus takes center stage. Now, it doesn't mean that the, the, the others are not involved. You'll remember in creation, the Holy Spirit was involved. Uh, and, and John says that Jesus himself was the Father created through Christ. So, so they were all involved. But it's like, it's like I gave the example of basketball. You know, I grew up playing basketball. And I know it's hard to believe with my, my height and things like that. But uh, I did compensate by speed. I'd go under them and people instead over them and things like that. And, but, but even when you're playing with a team, only one person has the ball at any given time. And so it's like the father passed the ball to the son at the incarnation. He said, okay, son, you've got the ball. But it's not like that they, they sat on the bench. The father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. In him I'm well pleased. And we know the father was involved. Paul later said God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. And then, of course, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. It's like the Father and the Son, they passed the ball to the Holy Spirit. Your turn! We were talking with a group of vineyard leaders the other day, planning our our, our fall vineyard fest, and we were talking about how that it, when, when we have these events, you know, you have four or five sessions where there's teaching, and, and, and we felt there was something missing when you had a totally different worship team come on every time. So you'd have a band from Chilliwack and a band from Abbotsford. I think Alec and Crystal actually led last year in one of the sessions. And, and, and we talked about how much more meaningful it is when you have one team that leads the whole time, but you change leaders. So you can have a team that is comprised of different churches in the, in the BC area, and then they just take turns stepping up. And I thought, that's more Trinitarian. I like that. And I think that's the, a picture of what, what God wants us to understand. And so we talked about how that this is the era of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy to relegate the Holy Spirit to Pentecost. But ordinary time tells us that the Holy Spirit was meant for us to have ongoing life in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Now, uh, before I move on from extraordinary or, or into ordinary time, let's talk about extraordinary times. And uh, this, by the way, you can see me standing a little bit kind of part of me there behind them. I'm losing weight, just wanted you to know that. And um, and uh, that right behind me is this huge canyon. So I'm really glad the fence was there. Uh, you know, in case I fell under the power or something like that. Um, and uh, this was at Starved Rock State Park. Starved Rock State Park. 
in Illinois. Now, why the name Starved Rock State Park? Well, I don't know if you guys know Illinois that well, but it's like Alberta, a lot of parkland, farmland, but you're driving along for two hours out of Chicago, and all of a sudden you hit this incredible, beautiful canyon, a lot of forest, a lot of the river has just carved beautiful canyon, and there's this massive rock called Starved Rock, and it's because uh, there's a legend that the Illinois, Illinois is a name for a First Nations nation, and the Illinois were, were surrounded by a, a, an enemy tribe, and they were cut off, just like the Jews were at Masada, and so they said, we'd rather starve than uh, be taken captive, and so that's kind of where the name was. A lot of history, a guy named Marquette was a Catholic missionary traveled from Canada, what he named Sault Ste. Marie, evangelized a lot of the First Nations in that area, went on down, ever heard of a place called St. Louis? He named St. Louis, Missouri. A lot of, I was surprised at the amount of French influence down that way, very similar to Canada's history, all the way down to, to Louisiana. In fact, Cajun comes from the word Acadian. It's a, it's a mixture of, of native language and old French to mean Acadian. So there's a real incredible connection, incredible history. It was a great place. You'll see Peter's coat there. That's a neighbor. I call it an Abraham Lincoln coat. And uh, Abraham Lincoln did a lot of work in this area. In fact, there was a, a town nearby called Ottawa, of all things. Ottawa, Illinois. And it had a picture of Ottawa, Illinois, and right next to it was Abraham Lincoln. And I was going, this doesn't fit. Right? I'm thinking, this is a bit, but actually it was another name of another First Nations tribe in that area. So it was a very rich place. I love weddings, especially when I get a chance to know people's stories. Most of us only know Peter and Jessica. We don't know their family. We don't know their loved ones. So it was wonderful just to, to, to get more uh, engaged in their story and, and be a part of their lives. And fantastic week. And they're, on, they're honeymooning, and they'll be back June the 20th. Yay. All right. Now, in our discipleship, one of the things that we wrestle with is, is in, in this ongoing role of the Holy Spirit uh, in our discipleship, is the tension between God's part in our discipleship and our part. How many have ever gotten that confused? Yeah. It, it's easy to do. Um, we tend to mix them up and we end up asking God to do things that he asked us to do. We talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? Send, Lord, send in the harvest, <laughs> right? Lord, bring in the harvest. And he's going, uh-uh, no, you're not going to get away with that one, right? He said the harvest is right. And no, pray for laborers and maybe you'll be the answer to that prayer. But what happens is we tend to, in discipleship, overemphasize our part. And I think it's because of the nature of it. It's discipline, it's, you know, learning, learning how to pray, learning how to love people, learning how to evangelize and, and, and be, be a good follower of Jesus. And, uh, and being a good follower of Jesus involves our response. But we can get into an extreme of overemphasizing our part, which can produce a lot of self-effort, where self becomes the center of it, and self-righteousness and legalism, and which is always, by the way, self-righteousness is always, at least I've experienced, the first step towards unrighteousness. Usually it starts with self-righteousness. Uh, it happened with Peter, didn't it? He's, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never abandon you. Um, and then 
Uh, the other extreme, of course, is God's part. And if we overfocus on that, then we become passive. Now, as we said, we're, we're in the age of the Spirit. With the, the Old Testament was the era of the Father. The, new, the, the Gospels was the era of the Son. We're now in, in the age of the Spirit. And having established that, Jesus, let's go to the Gospels because in, in, in our text, Jesus is about to depart to the Father and he's told the disciples he's leaving. And they're upset. They're obviously upset. Do you know how I know they're upset? Because he says to them, go and let your hearts be troubled. And he says that a lot in these passages. Don't, what are you upset? You know, don't be upset. I'm, you know, uh, it's going to be okay. right? And, and you see that language coming through and during these chapters, this last discourse in the upper room with the disciples, he spends a lot of time talking to them about the Holy Spirit. And in this context of them being distressed, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. What's, by the way, uh, Dawson did a great job teaching last Sunday on fear not. And, and, and what is the best way not to fear? Jesus said, trust in God. Trust in me. That, that's how you deal with fear. Trust in God. Trust in me, Jesus said. And so, let's look at our text. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, whose part is that? God's part or ours? That's our part, isn't it? That's our part. How many know God will not keep his commands for you? You obey. He's given you the choice. Right? Do we need his power? Yes. Do we need his help? Yes. But it's something we do. And he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Is that good news? Verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, who's he talking to? The people he's just told he's leaving, right? And they're upset. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. By the way, he said, I will send you another advocate. I'll send you another comforter. Okay, if the Holy Spirit's the other one, then what's the other one? Who's the other one? Huh? With him. He's saying, you like having me around? Guess what? You're going to get somebody just like me. And guess what? It's going to be better. It's going to be better. Didn't he say that? Now, what could be better for you and I after church, going home, or going out for dinner, or here on... By the way, it's Italian days. Happy Italian days, Dan, and anybody Italian here. We love you. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's the only Italian word I know. Ah, okay, no, just kidding. And, and, uh, and so Jesus meets us for lunch. Wouldn't that be fun? We sit and have dinner with Jesus. Well, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's better. It's better than having me here physically with you. What we have now is better. I'm going to send you another comforter, another advocate. Verse 20, And on that day you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, 
is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Good question. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Those words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. Verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Note that word, send. Will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Boy, he says that a lot in this passage. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And you know what? When Jesus gives us a command, we have a choice. Obey or disobey. I can't help but this, feel that this is the Holy Spirit's primary agenda for us today as we move into communion. And so what is the work of the Holy Spirit in this? How does he work with us in, in confronting? Uh, if, if God's primary agenda is to get us to trust him, and he gets most joy, by the way, in those times that we trust him when our circumstances look the most ridiculous in the opposite way. He gets the most joy out of that kind of trust. So what is the Holy Spirit's role in you and I becoming disciples? How did it all begin and what is our role? And what is the Holy Spirit's role in you and I walking with God? Well, let's talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to back up and look at a bird's eye view and then zero in for us as individuals and into our choices and our decisions and our responses. Because sometimes there's a lot of confusion. It's a weird theology going around. and We need to, to understand what the scriptures teach us. The first thing the, whole, the scriptures teach us is that, the, that God is a missional God. In other words, he's a God who even though everything went wrong at the beginning, after he'd made everything so well, and as we heard in the creation story, the, the fall story today where, where relationships were broken and the man started blaming the woman and the woman started blaming the serpent and Everybody's pointing their finger somewhere else and, and relationship and trust broke down. I preach that at every wedding. I talk about why there has to be covenant. Because we lost our ability to trust. And covenant is God's provision for us to regain trust. We know that trust takes time. It's not something necessarily that comes overnight. And our, our trust in God takes time. It, it's something that grows. The scriptures are clear about that. Our faith grows. But we have to exercise it, and we have, to, we have to take times where we choose to say, I believe God, rather than our circumstances, our lives, and our minds. And the devil, he does exist, you know. Um, and so God is a God who's relentlessly at work to make everything right again, and he will not stop until he's done so, reconciling us to himself, to one another, and to all of creation. John 3.16 says, 
How many can say it with your eyes closed? For God so... You know what? We don't say it right. We have to say for God so... The, the Greek is literally so... It is. It's so... Like It's like this... Do you understand how much God loves? God, everybody say so. So. Now let's say the whole verse like it's written in the Greek. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen to this. John goes on to say, For God did not, what? Send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. God did not send His Son to condemn the world. He said to His disciples, you don't know what spirit you are of. I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save them. Right? The Father loved the world so much that He sent His Son as a missionary to a dangerous place. It wasn't safe here. I loved what you said last Sunday about if, we, if safety is our paramount priority, we cannot be disciples. And I'm not saying we be careless and don't have due diligence. Of course we do. But if safety becomes the priority of everything we do, then we become paralyzed in obeying God. God sent His beloved Son, His most loved, precious Son, to a dangerous world. And He watched Him suffer. And He watched Him die. Because He loved the world. And then Jesus went on to say, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. So not only was the Son sent, but the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father. And then in John 15, Jesus said, I will send you the Advocate. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. So Father, actually Acts kind of tells us what had happened. Jesus ascended to heaven. He said, Father, can I have the Holy Spirit? Father gave the Son the Holy Spirit and He poured it out on us. And He still poured it. He send, he's a missionary God. And so God is not willing. Paul said this in 1 Timothy. Listen to this. I love this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for the elect. For everyone. Now, I, I threw that in there for the elect for a reason. Because Paul says, I, pray, I ask that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings. For Obama. For Harper. Even if you didn't vote for them. And all those in authority. Even if they're NDP. easy to pray for the queen after this week, I'll tell you. She's, she, that's an easy one to pray for, isn't it? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, why do we pray? This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What does God want? What does God will? Is there anyone that God does not want to be saved? Is there anyone that God does not desire that they come to the knowledge of the truth? That they not perish but have everlasting life? Is there anyone that God has chosen and has not chosen and not called? Jesus said many are called. Right? Why are few chosen? 
because God wants all to be saved, but only those who choose are saved. But there's a lie going around that somehow God is selective and he has special people and he chooses one and turns down others. And if you, if you believe that, think about what that tells you about the character of God as you're out evangelizing. I'm just asking you that question. I'm, I'm not saying that, it, that people in the body of Christ don't believe that. They do. But the challenge for me is, how, what does it say to us about who God is? Peter said it this way. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God's a missional God. So, so far in your conversion, what have you done? God has sent His Son. He sent His Spirit. What have you and I done so far in this process? Absolutely nothing. Right? We haven't done anything yet. He's just, he just sent His Son. He's he sent His Spirit. But don't worry, we're getting there. The, the next thing the Holy Spirit, God, the, the Spirit of God does is He sends the messengers. Paul said in Romans, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. Now these are powerful words. Are, are you listening? Scripture says anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then, what's the dilemma? What's the problem? What, what's at issue then, Paul says? Is it, is, it, is it God has chosen that some be saved and some not? Has God made that decision? He goes on to say this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So if you're not the messenger, what have you done so far? If you're, not the, if you're the recipient, what have you done so far? What's your part in all this? You haven't done anything. If you are the messenger, what have you done? You've obeyed God, haven't you? You've heard the Holy Spirit and you've, you've, you've followed. And we see this in Antioch where in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, uh, Lucius of the Cyrene, Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they were having a Saturday night wasted on God night of prayer time with some prayer and fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they, pl they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them were sent on their way by what? By who? By the Holy Spirit. 
So, what, what are the, are the, have the recipients done so far? Nothing. If you're lost, if you're, if you're waiting for the gospel, you haven't done anything. What have the messengers done? They're seeking God. They're trying to hear God's voice. They're listening to the Holy Spirit. It seems like they were having this prophetic time together. The Holy Spirit spoke. And then all of a sudden, He said, now's the time. Paul and Barnabas, for them to leave, would be like the, the, the equivalent of the associate and lead pastor of a church where God said, it's time. That's what they were at that time. Send them. So they laid hands on them, which we're going to do for Wade and Joe. They're not leaving permanently, at least at this point, but they're going to be going to Thailand over the next few weeks. We want to pray for them today. But when we lay hands on them, why do we do that? Why do we lay hands on people? It is saying that we believe that it is not us that's sending you. It is the Holy Spirit. You're being sent by the Spirit. There's a lot of people running around who are sending themselves. And I think a characteristic of being sent by the Holy Spirit is this kind of accountability to the body that Paul and Barnabas had. They worked with the body. They prayed together. They sought God's corporate voice and corporate will. And the Holy Spirit spoke. All right. So, where are we? God's a missional God. He sends, he sends His Son. He sends the Spirit. And then those, mess- those that respond to Him uh, through the, the witness of the Spirit, the witness of the Son, became apostles. They were messengers. He sent them out. And then there's more messengers. What does He do? He also empowers the witnesses. Paul said, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony of God, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. One thing I've experienced, and you really experience this, it's true, as much true in Vancouver as it is in other places, but when I go to lower post and when I go to, to other parts of the world, I tell you what, having a nice apologetic argument just doesn't cut it. You got demons you're dealing with. You got, you got strongholds of darkness. You need empowering people, you know, and, and it's even happening in Harvard. Remember the, the guy that founded the Sikh course? He, he had PhDs from Harvard saying, why are you trying to argue me? I can argue you into the ground. I want to know if God is real. I want to know if God is power. Amen. And I experienced this as a young man, 17 years of age. I was graduating from high school and I preached at my graduation. It was a totally public school a thousand people jammed into this gymnasium. Ninety percent were unsaved, non non Christians. And I stood up and I gave my testimony for five minutes, to, as as valedictorian. The power of God hit me. One of the biggest drug dealers in the area was sitting in my graduating class, and so the rest of the graduating class were sitting there. After my speech, they were crying. This young man came up to me later and he said, "Gordy, when you began to speak." Something came in the room. And a short time later, he gave his life to Christ. He's still a follower of Jesus, lives near my parents in Calgary to this day. But it, was it an argument? It was the power of God. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Paul said, I did not come with words 
of wisdom, but with, with power and the Holy Spirit and deep con- conviction. Not only with words. It's not that we don't use apologetics and we don't use the word. I'm not against apologetics. But in our day and age, the kind of warfare we're dealing with, it's not enough. We need the power of God. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. What's conviction? Simply means He shows you where you're wrong. He shows you where Christ can become your righteousness instead of you. He said, I'll convince of righteousness too. He shows you how you begin to let Christ be your righteousness. And the good news about this is we are not the convictors. How many have ever met somebody who thought they were the convictor? It's the Holy Spirit who's the convictor. All right? We preach good news. We preach the good news, and the Holy Spirit does the convicting. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't confront, but I like Nathan's approach with David, where he came with wisdom, he asked questions, he told David a story, and when David said, we need to get that guy, Nathan said, you're the man. You're the guy you want to get. And that's conviction, right? The Holy Spirit gives revelation. Paul said the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why is the gospel foolishness? Because the idea of a crucified God as God's way of winning the world sounds stupid to the world. A weak God, a naked, bleeding Messiah is a stupid idea to the world's idea of success. But Paul said when we speak not words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God and considers them foolishness. We have been captivated by a vision of the love of God that we have seen in the cross, but it was the Holy Spirit who opened our eyes to see that. Finally, He strengthens our faith. And I'm going to put these two together because this is where I think the church gets it backwards sometimes. He engenders new life. Now I need a... Oh, where's Kenny? Man, I need Kenny. Where'd he go? Okay. I, I need a volunteer. Okay, Christine, volunteer. All right, this is a volunteer. Here we go. Thank you, Christine. Just remember, she volunteered, okay? She said she, she was willing to do... Okay, all right. So we, we, have, we have several scenarios here. And the reason why I wanted, wanted to bring her up, I wanted somebody to, to see... I wanted to visually show you kind of there's, there's different uh, ways that the church has approached this in the past. It says in John 1.11 that uh, when Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, okay, listen to this, to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, so receiving Christ, believing on him, produces new birth, right? That's what happens. Now, some people think it's backwards. They think, well, you get born again first so that you can believe. So there's, there's different ways, uh, John Calvin, Augustine, there's different preachers through church history that have, have taught this, and we're going to resolve thousands of years of church conflict and history in five minutes, all right? We're going to solve it all right here. All right, so I need you to lie down on the floor. You're dead. Oh, no, 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 just a minute. No, 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 so we'll start with something simpler. Okay. We'll work in. 
I need, I need, I need a gift of. Okay, here's eternal life. By the way, it's Robbie's 40th birthday today. He had to work, and so as part of celebrations, which are going to go throughout the day, he has made fry bread. Bobby's fry bread that we're going to have for communion. This represents eternal life. All right. So I'm God, and Christine is a person who hears the gospel. And I want you to face me. And what I'm giving you is a gift. And I would like to present this gift to you. What would you do? Okay. Now, this is a view of conversion that a guy by the name of Pelagius had. Now, he was kind of a, a, a theological counterpart to Augustine. What Pelagius believed is that we as human beings are, are like Adam and Eve. We are in the same place as they were. We have a choice either to choose eternal life, choose righteousness, choose to do good, or to disobey God. We have these choices that we can make. And the only difference between Adam and Eve and us is that when we come along, we have to repeat the same mistake we, they do and we usually do. So his view was is that we have the power as human beings to, uh, to choose life and to choose God. Now, he was partly correct. There is truth to that. But what... The, 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 hey, what are you doing? You're taking off with that. Uh, uh, but but what it, the opposite view was Calvin and Augustine. And their view was, now you've got to lie down and be a dead person. All right? Now, the, the view of, of Calvin and Augustine was, is that in order to be able to choose life, God has to come along and give you life. So I zap you, zzz, come on up. All right, and then at that point, you have the power to choose life. All right. So then, at that point, I can then take this. But you're already born again. You've already been regenerated because I, as God, decided I like you. I didn't like that other person. We left that person lying there. Right? Yeah. You can't see them, but they are there. Believe me. And and I then give you eternal life. All right. So that's, that's a simple, simplistic theological explanation of kind of the two points of view. Now, there was another guy who was a Calvinist. His name was Arminius. And there's lots of evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal churches that, that subscribe to Arminius. And uh, others that the same, same similar or similar denominations would go with Calvin. But Arminius' view was this. So, Christine, come and stand facing me again, but you're facing this way. Face opposite to me. Their view was Arminius came along and he was actually a Calvinist. A lot of people say, well, are you Arminian or Calvin? Actually, Arminius was a Calvinist. But he felt that Calvin was being misrepresented. And so he came along and said, you know what? You're you're not making God look very good. And so he taught, he was still branded a heretic and kicked out and things like that. But, But his view was this. He called it prevenient grace, and, and the Wesleyan, uh, Wesleyans, John Wesley, the Methodist, taught this. Is that what God does is, is we're all, our death is not that we're laying on the ground and unable to respond. Our death is, is that we're separated from God. Isaiah 59, your sins have separated you from God. And so death is separation, not non existence or not the incapacity to respond. Death is where you're separated from God because of your choices. And so Arminius said, what God does is he comes, John chapter 1, the light that lights everyone that comes into the world, God comes and gives everyone light, and he turns them around. 
And it's called provenient grace. And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes through common grace. It comes through the preaching of the Gospel that every person in the world is given the opportunity to turn around. They're given grace to either choose or reject Christ. But there's not one will involved. There's two wills. The Eastern Orthodox call it synergy. Now, synergy is where you have two wills involved. Monergy is where there's only one will involved, and that's God's. God decides, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. The problem in the church history is we try to resolve the mystery with our theological systems. Instead of recognizing there's two facts here. God chooses you and I, but you and I have choices. And every day to walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit won't do that for me. I have to choose to do that. All right? So... So what Arminius would do is he would say that grace turns around, enables us to receive, we hear the gospel, because provenient grace is there, we then have the power to either accept or reject Christ. All right? Thank you, Christine. You've been a wonderful, wonderful prop in the audience. Thank you. So, so you want to know the difference between those three? Do you want me to go through this all again? It's because you were kind of in the middle of it all, Christine, and it was hard to, yeah, 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 yeah. So, where do I land? Well, probably different than some of you in this room on this, but what I think is really important is, is that God has given us each a choice to respond to his grace and to accept his love, but I think a way to describe it, there's a, there's a wonderful story in uh, the Gospels, where this man who had a demonized boy, remember Jesus had come off the mountain and he came and the the disciples were trying to cast out this demon from this boy who had kind of like epileptic seizures and he he was being thrown on the ground, foaming at the mouth, gnashing at his teeth and becoming rigid. And Jesus, and he comes to Jesus, he said, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. It doesn't say they wouldn't. It says they couldn't. Anybody relating? <laughs> right? Have you ever been confronted with your impotence when it comes to trying to preach the gospel and get the word out? Or in other, any way you want to take that, you can take that. That's fine. I think it's very related. <laughs> so they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw him to the ground. And Jesus says these words, You unbelieving generation. Here's the thing. Jesus is condemning them, judging them for not believing. He's saying that there is a moral lack of choice here that's happened that is causing the impotence spiritually that's occurring. So then they brought the boy to him and Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus responds to the Father like this. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. Now, how many have ever heard that and thought, ah, I want to believe, you know, like Adrian Plass when he tried to bend the paper clip, you know? I believe. I believe. Right? 
I command that paper. You damn paper. You know, he got really mad. Ah. But the man cries out to Jesus. He's confronted with his lack of faith. And he goes, I believe. Have you ever been here? I believe. Tears streaming down his cheeks. I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's the synergy. That's where the synergy happens. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. He wants to strengthen our faith. He wants to take us where we're at. And he says, take my hand. Walk with me. So let me ask you, as we come to communion, and I, 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 I talked about this already, is it one will or two? Yeah. Monergy or synergy, right? But as we come to our reflection, my question for each of you is, where do I need to invite the Holy Spirit to help me overcome my unbelief? What, what is the crisis of faith for you? Because that's where I feel Jesus is inviting us today. That's the synergy. That's where he's saying to you and me, there's my part, there's your part. So let's pray. I'm going to just ask those that are serving to come. And we're going to take Robbie's fry bread. And if you're new here today and you haven't had communion with us before and you'd like to, and you've made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, or you'd like to, you've chosen to be his disciple, or today you would like to, uh, you're invited to come. Usually what we do is we form a line down this aisle, and then we take a piece of the bread, take a piece off. I know that usually we have one loaf, but hey, it's fry bread day. It's Robbie's 40th. So take a chunk out of it and dip it in the, in the glass and as the person offers you the bread, they will say the body of Christ broken for you. And, and, to, and, and you can in some way say, I receive the body of Christ broken for me. And then the person who holds the cup will say the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can say amen or I receive or in some way just acknowledge or just nod your head or just take and eat. But to me today, this is your prayer. Maybe... You've never given your life to Christ. And this is your way of saying, I, I know it's true, but my faith is weak, and Lord, help my unbelief. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you're facing some things today where your faith is just being challenged. I know mine is. I'm facing some things. Where I need to hear Jesus say to me, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Are you there? Is he coming to you at some points in your heart and life and saying the same thing? Then come. And then, then I encourage you either to go back to your seat and pray with friends together. Pray into some of those areas that, that you're responding to the Holy Spirit on today. But I'd like some, those in relationship with Wade and Joe particularly, they're going to take communion and stand over here and we're going to pray over them and bless them and lay hands on them. In fact, why don't you guys come first? I'd like you to just... Go and oh, you can come right across here, but uh, we're gonna stand in line first, and then the rest of you can just start lining up behind them. Why don't we all stand together?
In the book of Deuteronomy, God says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. He gave Israel a choice. He gives you and I a choice. The church has always become impotent and passive and weak and ineffective when we lose that synergy, when we lose that importance of our response to God. Now, his, his part is critical, and we can't do it without him. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But I choose to say, Lord, like the first step of the 12th step, without you, my life is unmanageable. I surrender my life to you. That's a choice that he's given me to make. And each of you has that same choice today. He says, choose today. You choose life. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Well, I do care about how long you've been a Christian, but you know what I mean. What I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Today, you choose life or you choose death. You choose life by what you say. You choose life by what you choose to think about. You choose life by how you're going to respond to somebody when they kind of grate you the wrong way. You choose life, you choose death. Every day, you and I have that responsibility. The power of life and death is in the tongue. The word is nigh you even in your mouth. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God's given every one of you that choice today. I'm sorry I'm being so direct, but I feel the Lord wants me to confront today. We have choices. We can choose to love or we can choose not to love. He's given us the power. We can't do without him, but he's given us the choice. Would you come? Would you receive his grace? It's here today. Mark, maybe you could turn on some music. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and empower. Lord, as we distribute the bread and the cup today, as we break this bread, we bless it. Lord, we take this cup and we bless it. And we thank you, Lord. We don't understand the mystery of synergy. We don't, we don't try to figure it out. We just bow to the mystery and we accept our part in this aspect of following Jesus and being disciples. Come, Holy Spirit. God bless you as you come. Amen. Thank you.